0: Now is the time for medical practices to to shine and rise and be successful and be a factor again, a force, a force for good. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today Brian and Josh are joined by Ron Holder, the Chief Operating Officer of the Medical Group Management Association, or MGMA, an organization that works to improve healthcare by serving medical practice
1: administrators.
0: For its more than 58,000 members, MGMA offers government advocacy, data, conferences, certification programs, and more. You will learn about the types of challenges MGMA helps practices navigate, such as managing expenses, reducing administrative burden, maintaining practice engagement, and dealing with physician burnout during the pandemic, and why now is the time for medical practices to be the drivers of meaningful change in healthcare
1: josh israel a physician and medical director at allidade along with brian chiglinski who is the senior director of communications at allidade and we have the pleasure today to speak with ron holder ron is the chief operating officer of the medical group management association mgma uh, and ron why don't we start right in if you could tell us about mgma
0: sure thank you uh, we are a organization that exists to uh, make healthcare better through what we believe is one of the best models for healthcare. That is the physician practices. Uh, we want we have government ag- advocacy and things like that for to help with administrative simplification. And uh, we have an office in Washington. Through efforts such as that, we want to make healthcare better so that our leaders that run the practices can be successful. And we provide the tools to the leaders uh, so that they can be successful in making healthcare better, such as. Data, uh, meetings and conferences, certification types of educational materials for what we call our body of knowledge, the types of individual parts of what makes a a medical practice leader successful, things like that. So um, we've got about 58,000 and change members uh, between our national and state affiliates
2: it's fascinating and it's such a great it's uh, so aligned with our work at allied to kind of empower the physician practices and and our evidence that shows that physician practices are actually leading the way both in patient care quality and in moving to value based care um i'd really i'm really interested in kind of the the day-to-day nuts and bolts of, of how practices operate and how they kind of work through caring for their patient populations i know one of the things that mgma works really closely on is is kind of helping practices manage their expenses and, and non-fixed expenses and kind of navigating the world of trying to stay afloat in a fee-for-service world that can be very challenging for independent practices. Could you maybe talk to us a little bit about that type of work?
0: Sure. And, and that's that's an enormous question, right? <laughs> because that's you're basically encapsulating everything that medical practice is, except for maybe the clinical care part. So uh, we have offerings at MGMA uh, that that run the entire gamut. Uh, and one example of that is our upcoming Medical Practice Excellence Pathways conference. Our, in a normal world, we had three separate spring conferences: our operations conference, our financial conference, and then our data conference. So when you when you take those sort of three elements together, they're they're a rough approximation of what medical practice leaders have to do uh, administratively, non-clinically. And so we we have, of course, we have conferences, then we have online education, we have our member community, which is a fantastic resource for people, you know, like yourselves. If you if you are a primary care manager, you can go join the primary care threads and and talk with colleagues and, and peers. And what do you do when this happens? How do you address this situation that comes up? So that is something that is a incredibly beneficial. that we do, especially to our more senior members. Some of our educational things may be more valuable to the people who are new to the business. They come, they get exposure, then they start developing a network. And maybe the value of MGMA then is, I know all these primary care leaders throughout the nation in my own uh, communities and things, and and I can talk to them about how, how to do those types of things. And of course, we have our government advocacy office. One of the important things that practice leaders have to do is they have to keep their fingers on the pulse of of what's going on on a national and state level with regards to reimbursement changes or you know types of compliance things that may change or whatever when additional legislation comes out such as the accountable care act or whatever what do we have to do you know going forward to be successful in that as things transition from fee to service to you know value-based care how do we have to alter our press? What we do and how we do it in order to be successful in that new world. How do we straddle, even though we know maybe this is the right way to go and this is where people want to go with regards to value based care? The reality reality of it is that everyone is still paying in sort of a fee for service model. So how do we go from what is to what maybe needs to be? And so, you know, one of the interesting things that we feel like at MGMA and I would I would imagine is is sort of the thing at Alladate as well is this is the time, right, for physician practices to rise again, you know, or whatever from the flames, if you want to call it that, because patients want health care to be more affordable. Insurance companies want health care to be more affordable. The government wants health care to be more affordable. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And so many things are moving in the direction of ambulatory care. People are putting pacemakers in in an outpatient <laughs> <laughs> On an outpatient basis now. I mean, so the, the, the hospitals, while still are going to be incredibly important for healthcare going forward, there's so many people that want to see things move towards ambulatory. The outcomes are good and it costs less, which is kind of basically how you do your whole value equation. You know, value is uh, quality divided by cost. So if quality is better, cost is lower, your value equation, you know, the, that, that gets better. So the, those are all the kinds of things that we do and how we offer I obviously could go into more details about some of that, but our data that we provide with regards to both, you know, provider productivity and compensation is something that people can use to benchmark. Uh, we have studies as well, data that we have around staffing for all types of positions in the organization, management compensation surveys, as well as some you know unparalleled education when it comes to physician practice management, both in terms of our hopefully face to face again soon conferences, but our virtual experiences as well, as well as webinars and you know online offerings.
1: I, I knew some of the parts about the the nuts and bolts of your group helping practices run. I didn't realize that you also were sort of fellow travelers in the transition to value based care. So. Nice to hear that too.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, we, we, we truly believe, and, you know, part of it is probably because it's core to our business and that's what we want to do. But now is the time for medical practices to, to shine and rise and be successful and be a factor again, a force, a force for good opportunity to hit the reset button with regards to healthcare. Um, I feel like in some ways, over the years healthcare got a little bit away from physicians and physician practices. It was more hospital centric or, or you know, private industry and pharmaceuticals and, and whatever, or the insurance companies are driving the bus. Well, now's the time. People want this, <laughs> you know, we want it. Patients want it, the government wants it, people want it, so it's it's our time to shine. So
1: help me understand just a little bit more about the practicalities. If I am a physician practice, um, and I'm trying to figure out my scheduling, uh, how many patients to see, how to staff it. Maybe even in the middle of COVID, how do you how do you help me figure that out?
0: We have multiple resources for that, uh, some of which may be attending our conferences. We have sessions at our upcoming conference around that, that exact thing. There are scheduling you know, groups in the member community where you can get together and, and ask questions of your colleagues and peers. We have resources, books even, uh, that address this type of thing of how to optimize scheduling templates, uh, things of that nature. Um, we have a consulting group, if if that's of interest as well. So it's it's not a, an issue such as that of you know optimizing your schedule isn't where we would necessarily look at it from. Here's your one resource. We have multiple different ways to help people address the problem, depending on again what what the best solution for our members are.
2: Focusing on that uh, supporting uh, member practices, I think gets back to their core mission, which is you know, how do I make sure I'm providing the best care to my patients and my patient population. And one of the things that we have heard, or that we saw firsthand a lot over the past year, was just the challenge of of trying to care for your patient population in the midst of a global pandemic. When, on the one hand, you're you're trying to keep your staff safe, you're trying to keep yourself safe, but you're also um, trying to provide care for for your community in a way that's um, that's helping to make sure that there aren't you know chronic conditions that aren't getting cared for, or or you know patients who are, are not getting the outreach they need. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of how you all have worked with practices to help on that patient access standpoint of of trying to make sure that the practices are still able to connect to their patients, no matter what uh, circumstances kind of come up.
0: Well, one of the ways that that we do this is uh, we have various vendors and partners that work with us, both in terms of, you know, things that you would expect such as exhibiting at our conferences but also you know through mgma best price and some vehicles such as that that are vetted you know for quality and when the pandemic hit the reality of the situation was if you weren't doing telehealth already you had to get it up and speed or you were going to go broke right you, you had no other way to see patients because so many in, in so many states they were just shutting down things It was like nope not going to do this face-to-face activities anymore so a lot of the smaller practices, especially that maybe don't have their own like IT department and things like that, were scrambling to to figure out a way to get telehealth implemented and they we you know, hey, what vendors do you have or relationships with? Who's good? And people would get in the member community. They they would ask things like that. You know, what are some options? Can anybody support this this group or that group or that that organization? And so that was good that our members saw. We had a, a COVID resource uh, center that we launched very early. That we had a lot of uh, organizations uh, and associations, frankly, chasing us there for a bit because uh, we we got so much traffic from it and so much positive press because we were sort of not only first to market but the quality of the information that was out there uh for especially for the small practices who maybe don't have their own government affairs office or don't have their own at department so much was out there in order for them to take advantage of and then hopefully you know easy button implement back at their own practice because they know that it worked somewhere else or whatever so you know that's that's the type of things that that we offer connecting people connecting organizations, companies, you know, but not necessarily, we don't necessarily sell that. We, we don't we don't sell a telehealth solution to you or any, anything like that, but but we, we can help both in terms of, we may have some vendors that we, we know are solid and good and that uh, we got attestations from various members that they are, as well as the member community itself where people can just go out and ask, I've got this problem, does anybody know of an organization or a company that can help me fix it?
1: When you're talking about advocacy for these practices, um, I guess, number one, who are you advocating to? Um, and secondly, what are some of the big things you're hoping to, to accomplish to make running a medical practice easier?
0: Right. So our government affairs office is in Washington, D.C. So our, at MGMA, our national offices is focused, our government affairs, on national advocacy, meaning Congress and things like that. So we... Things that we typically advocate for is administrative simplification. We advocated for pa- payment parity, uh, you know, going into COVID. So you know, to make sure that we had a revenue streams for our telehealth activities that we had to do in order to be able to take care of our patients. Um, payments uh, updates from year to year, physician fee schedules to make sure that there's you know sustainable growth rate, that there's not cuts, those kind of things, because. know one of the things that has happened over the years with with physicians and uh apologies josh i don't mean to offend to say this but uh physicians by nature they they're successful in going through medical school and residency stuff because they have this strong sense of autonomy if it's not there they they get it beat into them by medical by the time medical school is done and so they aren't necessarily the best at organizing and what happened is what you saw is over the years is instead of fighting as a group for physicians and physician practices physician groups started fighting amongst themselves for a bigger pieces of the ever dwindling pie on the national healthcare stage you know hospitals were getting their piece and pharma and in tech and and whatever and and the physician piece kept shrinking So the strategy was not let's make sure the physician piece of that pie stays big or gets bigger. It was let's fight amongst who gets the biggest piece of the the dwindling physician pie. Um, and so you started seeing, unfortunately, AMA, you know, membership there was declining for a while and you saw membership in specialty societies, uh, climbing. And again, that's what's, you know, that further, you know, fighting amongst yourselves kind of things. So, uh, we believe that we can be a galvanizing force in advocating uh, for physicians, and we've had some success at that with regards to maintaining you know, physician payment, growth rate, uh, payment, payment parity for telehealth, things like that recently.
2: Yeah, the, that fighting over a shrinking pie is I think something we've heard a lot from uh, practices and physicians when we reach out to them. It's the, this idea that primary care is becoming harder and harder, especially independent primary care. Is becoming harder and harder and there are fewer and fewer supports especially in the existing fee for service uh system and so our you know we we talk a lot about the movement to value-based care being a, a way to get into a system that actually values the physician and puts primary care right in the center um, but th- those feelings of, of burnout and staff satisfaction and well-being, I think, are concerns that we hear across the country. And I know that's also something that MGMA is really focused on, is like trying to support healthcare providers and uh, their staff and their and their well-being. Could you talk a little bit about what resources and support? So
0: we have had both at our fall conference, Medical Practice Excellence Conference last fall, and then our Pathways upcoming conference, so sessions on burnout. Um, we have resources uh on on the internet for burnout um and things like that but you know the really at reality is one of the most effective ways to deal with burnout is talking about it amongst your team you have to you have to make sure that that it isn't taboo that it isn't a sign of weakness um and and, and talk about how you can support each other right because while many many types of healthcare, the expenses during covid on a national level have gone down mental health is through the roof. And it's also something that lends itself very well to virtual visits because so much of the care for mental health is, you know, it's talking versus having to do a physical diagnosis of, of someone. And when you think about it too, this is a little bit off topic of your question, but it kind of ties in is the silver lining for COVID is if there is one <laughs> it has to do a little bit with more providers and patients alike realize that there may be a place for telehealth right what happened that wasn't necessarily good is not everybody did a great job of explaining what telehealth can do and what it can't do to their patients and and by that i mean people that went in with full knowledge of what i can get accomplished via telehealth and they knew that they absolutely couldn't go, go see their physician they're appreciative of telehealth. It worked well for them. It was convenient to them, uh, things of that nature. But if you, if someone, if I see you as a telehealth provider and because what i want to see you for actually requires some measure of physical diagnosis or a test, a diagnostic test or something like that. And so, so I just paid you for this telehealth visit, but I have to come see you again anyway. So I have, I have to pay two co-pays to get what I need addressed, addressed that is going to be a huge dissatisfier so it's one of the things you have to set up for success on the front end and and make sure that the patients know going in because that kind of stuff happens you know all the time we we want you to make sure that i have what i need <laughs> In order to, to have a good telehealth, I need you to make sure that I have what I need when I go to the, the DMV or whatever to get my driver's license so that I don't show up waiting in line for 45 minutes to get a driver's license. And then you tell me, oh, you need your social security card or, you know, or something like that. And I didn't bring it in after and the second is a huge dissatisfier. That's that's a parallel. Uh, so the ones that did telehealth well, that have good satisfaction scores around telehealth did exactly that but back to back to burnout which was your original question is you just you just have to talk about it you have to recognize that it's not just the physicians it's not just the the staff there's so many elements that happened during covid that that are a factor for it and you know part of it is worry am i going to have the income to maintain my salary am i going to have the income to keep all of my staff am i going to have a job and all that's going in the background before you layer on how your world may have changed. You may not have five days a week, eight to five anymore in your practice. You may have to have some weekend and evening hours. And every time that you do that, it, it decreases downtime for people, or maybe the predictability of your schedule goes away. So all those things are factors in terms of burnout. So you have to figure out it, talk about it um, and have that kind of culture where it's okay to... To, to show concern about yourself, self-care. And if you can do that, that's that's a big step on the way to preventing and taking care of burnout.
1: You know, I used to be a little bit jaundiced about physician burnout. Not really convinced that there's more physician burnout than any other difficult, demanding, but ultimately very rewarding job. Um, but I don't think that anymore after this year. You know, the frontline doctors, what they did this year, to me, they're like the old guy in the diner with the, the Omaha beach hat. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. you took Normandy. It was 30 years ago, but you still get my respect for as long as you need it. It's it's amazing what you did. And I, I appreciate much more the the burden and pressure of being a frontline physician.
0: Yeah, it's not, um, I think you, you've you seen some of that with regards to generations, you know, going into medicine of what the data have shown uh, is, is that, you know, more and more people are going into the specialties that don't have call requirements. that don't have weekends i mean that's where a lot of the competitiveness is uh, to get into those and um, none of it's easy of course but the generations that is way more important maybe to millennials to work-life balance than the physicians like you said for 30 years ago was like medicine is not a 40-hour a week job when you're a physician you're a physician all the time all week long 24 7. and uh your if your patients need you you're you're there and and the thing is it vary, it's going to vary, does vary by specialty a little bit with regards to burnout for physicians and staff alike. It's just like some people got the most burnout during the pandemic at its heights. Some people, because people deferred care uh, during the pandemic or because you know elective surgeries or elective procedures were shut down during the pandemic and there's this backlog built up, some people are going to have the, the burnout as things open back up because they're trying to make up for lost revenues or, or lost volumes or because there's demand for it and their patients need them. The burnout aspect, I don't think is gonna necessarily diminish anytime soon.
2: So we touched on a lot of topics today. It sounds like uh, this is, I, I know we've talked about, this is something that you guys are working on with your annual conference. If you wanna give us a little more information about that and how people can uh, look into MGMA's conference. Sure. Thank you.
0: Uh, our medical practice excellence pathways conference this year, which is a combination of, in a normal year of our operations, finance uh, and data conferences is May 11th through the 13th. Uh, you can sign up as organizations and send multiple members. You can send you can sign up as individuals. Uh, it is a virtual conference uh, and then we'll have our big you know, annual conference uh, in the fall as well. So. Um, jury's out right now as to whether that's going to be face-to-face or virtual. We're hoping in person, but who knows what's going to happen over the next several months.
2: Great. Well, yeah, we're excited for hopefully uh, we'll be all back in person uh, by then and vaccine rates will be picking up and hopefully our physicians and their practices on the front lines will will get a little more relief and uh, kind of back to uh, back to where they were. But Ron Holder, the Chief Operating Officer of MGMA. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thank you
0: so much. And the last thing that I would say um, with, with this time that I have, is, you just said, get back to normal, is I think we ought to take the opportunity to not get back to normal. This is our opportunity to hit the reset button and make healthcare what it needs to be. Uh, and physician practice is going to be a huge part of
1: This episode of The ACO Show was produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Our theme music is by Donna Korn. You can find previous episodes on our website, Alliday.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening!
0: Show.